Good morning. I think I said good morning once, but I want to say it again and officially welcome you to the gathering of Recreate Church, where no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. And what's amazing is I've been getting to say that to you for almost six years now. Isn't that wild? Can you believe that? And we've had folks who, who've been here from the very, very beginning, and, and, uh, and the Lord keeps bringing some new folks around, and we'll praise God for that. October the 22nd is our anniversary, and if uh, unless the weather's just miserable, we're going to have it at the Hillsville Farmer's Market. That's behind the Carter home there, so we will be bringing you some chairs, but if you're more comfortable in like a, a having a bag chair or something, bring those along too. That might be, uh, be uh, easier for some folks, and we're going to have uh, a very blessed day that day. We'll probably do some fun stuff too. Uh, we're hoping to have some some bouncy houses for the kids, and and maybe we'll let the adults have a shot at it later on. We'll see if you're interested and, and feel confident that you won't break anything. I think I will be staying off of the bouncy houses. Today is, is the baptism. Very excited today to baptize three folks in the name of the Lord. And that, uh, that will still be going on down at the Honeycutt's house. If you need directions, talk to me or talk to Duncan. There's a few more that knows the directions today. Bill and Kelly are not with us today. Kelly's not feeling too well. Say a prayer for her, please. Say a big, big prayer for Kelly. Uh, let's see. So did you bring in your pinto beans and your, your peanut butter? So when does, when does that actually leave, guys? Today? I mean, today was the deadline we set. So, uh, yeah, you might could run to Food Line like right after this if you forgot and, and toss something in. That's going to the school down in Haiti uh, that uh, we do what we can for. And uh, they will be very blessed by that. That that food is going to go home with the kids during their Christmas break because they, they don't get a lot of opportunity to have some good food during Christmas break. Haiti is a very poor country. And then one more thing. Um, we, uh, we're having our trunk or treat here and on October 31st from 5 to 8 p.m. That's not because we're celebrating Halloween. It's because there's going to be a thousand kids coming through here. And that gives us an opportunity to witness to a thousand kids. I'm not really I'm not really a Halloween guy, but I am a influencing people for Jesus guy. And it's not often that we get an opportunity like that to to be a witness to so many kids and their families. So that's that's a big old big deal to me. It's one of the ways we can serve our community. And uh, so come out and be a part of that. I'm I want to encourage you maybe maybe uh keep it like a a nicer version of halloween you know nothing too gruesome please that really won't kind of line up with the life that we're going for so all right i think that's actually it did i forget anything all right my wife says i didn't forget anything she's the one who is my memory she will let me know if i have forgotten something so let me tell you a story it was during the height of the revolutionary war miserable rainy day a group of soldiers was trying to throw up some defenses around their encampment and their commanding officer was standing nearby shouting orders at them just then a man rode up on a horse he had his jacket pulled tight around him and his hat pulled low over his eyes to keep out the rain and he asked the commanding officer he he, he watched the the men, as they were trying to lift a heavy oak beam to the top of this fortification, and um, the, the commanding officer was shouting orders at them, you know, do this, do that, do this. And the man on the horse slid off his horse, and he said, um, 
why don't you go in there and help them? And the man stuck out his chest and pointed to his insignia and said, don't you see, I'm a corporal. I'm not going in there. I'm an officer. I'm a corporal. And the man who was on the horse, he trudged over through the mud to the men who were lifting that heavy beam and he put his hands on it and he helped them lift it into place. And he walked back over to the corporal and he says, next time your men need some help, call on me. And he pushed his cap back and the corporal's jaw dropped because this man who had gotten off his horse and gotten in the mud to help these people was none other than the first great leader of our country, the Commander-in-Chief, General George Washington. I can't tell you if that story really happened, but there's lots of stories like that around George Washington, that he was that kind of a guy, that he, rather than simply demanding or commanding, he would step in and serve, step in and help. And it's a demonstration that the greatest kind of leadership is servant leadership. Now, those two words don't usually go together. Servant and leadership, they seem like opposites. Uh, a leader seems like one who exists to be served. The term servant leader was only coined like 50 years ago, but its roots go back much, much further, two millennia to a special somebody, somebody who came into the world when nearly every important leader was a dictator, when Caesars demanded that people worship them as gods, and in that cultural context, he set the leader set the example of a leader that exists not to be served but to serve now who is that leader who laid down his life for his followers who is that servant leader we know is jesus the great leader jesus we're going to be in mark chapter 10 verses 32 and following and we're going to read about how jesus uh he's first going to start talking about his great act of servant leadership his humble self-sacrifice he gave up himself starts out like this now they were on the road going up to jerusalem and jesus was going before them and they were amazed and as they followed they were afraid then he took the 12 aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen behold we're going up to jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the gentiles and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God speak to us now. Of this great truth that, that greatness is not in being served. But in serving. May we follow the example of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. There's a big crowd following after him you know what's going to happen at jerusalem you've you've seen this you've read this you've heard the stories he's marching towards a terrible fate in jerusalem his followers had heard him say such things at least twice before he's explained what's going to happen but they're unable to understand or unwilling to believe that such a thing could happen to him and so jesus walks ahead of the crowd and the followers are trailing behind and Jesus' appearance is different than it has been. There's something different about the expression on his face. It's changed. He's no longer at that moment the smiling teacher who is spinning tails while he's bouncing a child on his knee. His face is set like stone. He looks like a warrior marching into battle or a man marching towards his death. 
And we know that's what was going to happen. His followers are afraid. He knows they're headed into enemy territory. He knows Jesus has made enemies of the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they know, they've heard that there's a plot against Jesus, that uh, they want to catch him and they want to kill him. They're going there for Passover, and that would be a perfect opportunity for the religious leaders who hated Jesus to nab him and to try something and maybe kill him. So his followers had seen that his determination to go there and that they warned him against it. Hey, let's not go. Maybe we shouldn't go down for Passover this year because the people might, the leaders might kill you. They might take you. But he's determined. He's determined to be there. And as the whispers behind him grew more and more fearful, Jesus pulls the 12 disciples out of the crowd. And he tells them for at least the third time what's going to happen. That he would be betrayed into the hands of the religious leaders. That they would condemn him. That they would hand him over to the Roman overlords and ask that he be killed. And that the Romans would mock him and scourge him and spit on him and they would indeed kill him. But on the third day, he would rise from the dead. On the third day. That's a very specific set of events. Um, Jesus prophesied his death and his resurrection with specific details and a specific timetable and he's going to fulfill all of that and a bunch more prophecies that are applied to him. He fulfilled in his lifetime maybe hundreds of prophecies and in this last week of his life he fulfilled a lot and on the last day of his life some people have counted as many as 28 distinct prophecies that he fulfilled. So I'm just telling you Jesus does something here. The word of God does something that other holy books don't attempt to do other other religious texts do not attempt to make predictive prophecy and then see it fulfilled but jesus said some very specific things here and they all came true so if any if you're thinking about is jesus for real or or maybe you get questioned is jesus for real i mean you can point to this kind of stuff and say look here's a specific prophecy and you get back in the book of daniel and the very day of his crucifixion may have been prophesied 600 years before He's a fulfillment. Anybody who prophesies his own death and resurrection and then accomplishes that, I think he's worthy of our attention, don't you? Like, this is a guy we need to listen to. So the disciples hear the plain words of Jesus, but they don't grasp the message. How is that that they can hear Jesus say these things very plainly that he's going to suffer and he's going to die and still not believe that he's going to die? Refuse the idea that he's going to die. Actually, another scripture, Luke chapter, uh, somewhere in Luke, says that they came up with two swords. That was their answer. They came up with a couple of swords. And Simon Peter is going to use one of those swords in the Garden of Gethsemane and whack off a guy's ear. Pretty sure he was aiming for the guy's head and he hit his ear. But he just he's a fisherman. He's used to casting something. He's not used to swinging a sword. They couldn't comprehend that Jesus was going to die. I think in large part because that would mess up the future they imagined. They were pretty sure that the kingdom of God was going to be an immediate geopolitical power. That is to say that it would be like a country. Like America is a country. Or Canada is a country. Or Israel is a country. They, would, they imagined that the kingdom of God would be like a, a country with borders. A country with a government, right? And they expected that they would 
be a part of that government, that they would receive positions of high honor in this earthly government, this earthly kingdom. The idea that Jesus would die messes all of that up. And that bias blinded them to the truth. The twelve were so convinced that Jesus was going to set up an earthly empire at that time that even so late in the story as this, they're still, they're still like maneuvering, okay, to get the best seats at the table. And that's, that's where James and John come into this picture. <coughs> Sometime after they stopped, maybe stopped for the evening, the two brothers, James and John, the son of Zebedee, they come to Jesus. And this is a verse 35. I don't think it's, oh, there it is. It is on the screen. How about that? Verse 35, they come to him and say, teacher, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, that's always, if you're a parent, your kid ever, ever say something like that to you, it's like, hey, please say yes to this. I, um, my, my precious daughter, who is so amazing, who's in there working with the kids right now, I know when she comes up to me and says, daddy. I know what's coming next. When she starts a sentence with daddy or dear dada, I know. I'm like, what do you want? Because I know it's coming. Daddy. Um, the other kids don't try to pull that as much. Just that one. Just that one. They, they have their own uh, methods, I'm sure, but uh, hers is very overt. Dear daddy. And they come up and say, dear Jesus, master, teacher, want you to do a little something for us and he knows he knows what they're gonna ask he's omniscient he knows but he still says okay what is it you would like me to do for you and they say hey here's our chance we want to sit in the places of honor at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom now matthew's record of this same event adds another little detail that mark doesn't put in and and it's that James and John brought their mother with them. And their mother was the one who they prodded to ask the actual question. It's like, Mama, come here, Mama. Did you ask Jesus something for us? There is, There are some Bible historians who believe that, that James and John's mother and Jesus' mother were related, maybe even sisters, but we don't know that for sure. So I'm, I'm not going to stand on that. But evidently, they must have had some kind of a a bond there, and James and John felt like their mother could have some influence on Jesus. So they're like, what brave boys, huh? Let's get mommy to ask. When everybody knows, if you really you want to try to get something, uh, you know, our, our girls figured it out earlier on that if they wanted something, they would get their little brother to ask and to ask their mama. They would get, they still do this. This is still... Let's get Elijah to ask. He's the baby of the family. Mama will say yes to him. And it works, apparently. They've also found out if they want something that's ridiculous, they need to go ask their mom because I'm the bad cop. Like, are you kidding? No. No. You can't do that. It's 10 o'clock. You can't have a soda. Give me a break, y'all. That happens like twice a week. Every morning, too? And you let them have it, don't you? <laughs> okay. So everybody knows, I'm the, I'm the bad cop. Katie's a good cop. I mean, look at her. How could it be any other way? She's precious. So they asked, they say, they prod their mother into asking Jesus. And I'm sure they're right behind their little mama. Say, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, what she said. 
where are their motivations right now, do you suppose? Are these, are these good motivations? Well, no. It's pretty clear that they're not. They, they pulled their mother into self-serving desires. Now remember, they are expecting the kingdom to be something on earth at this time. Let me stop and say, the kingdom of God will come on earth. It will, and it's going to be really wonderful, but it was not at this time, and it's not yet here the kingdom of God is within you. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not something with boundaries and borders and, 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 and a, a bureaucracy. It's not there. You know, someday Jesus really will be on earth and he really will reign. And that's going to be amazing, but it's not yet. They were expecting that to happen then, but it wasn't then. And they were thinking that they're going to be high officials in this new kingdom that Jesus is setting up. So they are, they're putting their mother up to, to asking, say, hey, can, will you make my boys... One of them could be the prime minister and one of them could be the secretary of the treasury. Now the other ten disciples hear this and they are indignant because their desires are so much more noble. No. No. They're mad because James and John beat them to the punch. I can see them like Philip elbowing Andrew and said, why don't we get our mamas up here? To ask Jesus if we could be high officials. James and John, they're always pulling something. Yeah. Jesus doesn't call them out right now. Jesus doesn't say, oh my goodness, fellas, you are full of it. He doesn't. He doesn't call them out for being mama, mama's boys. He doesn't really even question their loyalty. He because he, he knows they're actually loyal. He does know that. He knows they're loyal. On the whole. They're, they're going to run away here in a little few days. But on the whole, they're loyal. What he does do is ask if they... He tells them, first of all, you don't know what you're asking for. You have no idea. And that was true on several levels. They had no idea what they're asking for. And second, he asks, okay, if, if you want that... Are you willing to drink of the cup of which I will drink? Are you willing to be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized? What does that mean? Jesus is drinking from a cup and being baptized? What does that mean? He wasn't talking about a literal cup or, or water baptism. He's talking about, are you willing to endure the suffering or the kind of suffering I'm about to endure here? Because he was going to, to drink of the, the cup, so to speak, of wrath. I, he, he's going to be crucified and he's going to be tortured and he's going to be humiliated and he said are, are you willing to endure that sort of thing and they don't really know what they're saying yes to but they say yes we are willing and he confirms it he says yes you will you will suffer for your allegiance to me and it doesn't come into this story here but later on that truth is borne out james one of these brothers becomes the first of the 12 to die because of his allegiance to Jesus. King Herod Agrippa had him beheaded. All of the disciples will eventually be captured and tortured and murdered. Except for John, who was captured and tortured, and they tried to murder him, and it didn't work. So they exiled him to a prison island called Patmos, and he's 90 years old, 95 years old, abandoned on this island and just left there until he died 
But while he was there, he wrote this little thing called the book of Revelation, so we do have that. He made the most of his time. But all of them paid the price, a major price. Okay, I'm telling you this now. Be sure that there is a price for living for Jesus. There is a price. Anybody who tells you being a Christian is easy or that being a believer is a crutch for someone who is weak, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't. Look, it does not, it does not take a strong person to live for yourself. A toddler can demand what they want. Have you had a toddler before? They will tell you what they want, and they will tell you they wanted it five minutes ago, and why didn't you anticipate their need? They don't articulate it like that. They just cry. It does not take maturity to demand service. It takes maturity to surrender yourself. And following Jesus is not this life of demanding what you want. It's not like God is this cosmic vending machine and you insert a prayer and you push the button and you get the thing you want. That's not how this works. It's, that wouldn't be good for us if it was. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of service. Jesus himself set that example of a life of service. It takes a mature person to take the focus off of self. It takes a person of true strength to live for God and not for yourself. I'm telling you, living for Jesus might be the hardest thing you ever do. If you do it right, it will be. Maybe the hardest thing you ever do, but it will also be the best and most transformational thing you'll ever do. And 100% worth it. You know, when seven years ago, seven years ago, Recreate didn't exist, but I was praying. I said, Lord, give me, give me a vision of a church that I would be willing to pay the price to be a part of. A way of doing church. You remember me praying that, don't you, Kate? Because it was like I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I couldn't. There was no way. And I prayed. I really prayed that prayer. That might have not been the smartest thing to pray, but I did. I said, and this was what I said. I said, Lord, I pray that you'll give me a vision for a church, a, a, an approach to doing church that is, that is so good and so right and so powerful and so true to what I see in the Word that I would be willing to pay the price, that I would be willing to go hungry and I'd be willing to go homeless for that. I didn't go hungry and I didn't go homeless, thank, thank the Lord. There were a few times it looked a little, we were pretty kind of concerned, but as you can see, I am well fed and I'm housed. But we did pay a price, didn't we, sweetheart? We paid a price. But it's worth it. If we don't pay that price, some of y'all I don't know. Some of y'all I don't get to know except for this. And it's worth it. You're worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. So Jesus, he doesn't give James and John a big hard time. He knew they were loyal. He knew they would suffer for their connection with him, even if they didn't understand at the moment. But he did say to them, what you are asking is not something that's mine to give. God would decide who's in that future kingdom state. God would decide who sits to the right and to the left. And certainly they weren't ready for it right then, not with their selfish motives. Jesus explained things work differently in his kingdom. Verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and great ones exercise authority over them. And yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. They lived in a world of Caesars and Herods and high priests, powerful people who demanded service, even worship. Is it so different in our world? Powerful and wealthy people, people who have money, people who have an office, make it about them? Let's just be real. Folks who don't even have that much power expect to be served. The wealthy and the powerful seem to be able to get their way and get away with nearly anything. And that's the way of this world. And does that bug you? Because it bugs me. If I wasn't so busy, I might be a revolutionary. Okay? Maybe that'll be my retirement project. I'll be a revolutionary. Maybe. Unlike the flawed human leaders we know, Jesus really is worthy of worship. He, he really is worthy of being served. He's not like these other people. And during his time on earth, he could have demanded that everyone bow to him right then and there. He could have. And it would have been right. He could have demanded that people serve his every need, and he would have been worthy of that. It would have been completely appropriate. Yet during his earthly ministry, he set a different example. Despite being worthy of service, he made himself a servant to all. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And to that I say, Amen. That's good stuff. Lord, we look for that day. But the point right now is that Jesus forsook his glory. You realize in, in heaven, he had the constant glory of the angels, the constant adoration of the angels, and he's worthy. And he came to earth to be a human being. That would be like you or I to say, I think I'm going to become a worm to save all the worms. And it would be a lesser step from became, from going to be a human to be a worm than from being God to being man. That's the distance is greater. And yet he did it. He came to earth to serve people like you and me. He set the example that greatness doesn't mean being served. It means giving of yourself. Truly great leaders are servant leaders. James and John, they asked for power. They asked for position. But Jesus offered them something very different. Jesus is not interested in making rulers. He's more interested in making shepherds. And a good shepherd lays down their life for the sheep. The world says greatness is found in being able to demand your way. To demand service. 
Jesus says greatness is found in serving. The world says leadership is authority over others. Jesus said leadership is service to others. The world says power is found in the ability to take. Jesus says power is found in the heart that gives. And he gave. He gave his life as a ransom for us. What's a ransom? A ransom is the price you pay to buy somebody back. And in that world, slavery was everywhere in the Roman Empire. There were more slaves than citizens in the Roman Empire. And the idea was you you paid the ransom and bought someone's freedom. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He bought us out of slavery to sin and self. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, this is his example. Self-sacrificial service. Jesus shows us greatness lies in service. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to say you're a Christian, you're going to say you're a believer, you're on the hook for some stuff. You're on the hook for giving. Not just giving of your stuff, but giving of yourself. Okay. Do you think the world around us is very often selfish, self-centered? It's obvious. It's clear. What if everybody in the world suddenly started desiring to serve others rather than being served? What would that be like? Would that be a cool world? you want to live in a world like that? Well, we can't necessarily do anything about the people out there. But right here, we can make a choice to be like that. And I think we're going to rub off on some people too. You can choose to not just give, but give of yourself. To be a servant leader. You might say, well, I'm not a leader. If you're a servant, that will be an example of leadership. You can serve, and you will be a servant leader. Jesus modeled this for us. He gave of himself. He gave of himself literally, gave his whole life. So you, okay, right now, you in your seat right now, think of this. How can you give more of yourself in your own home? Now, I realize there may be some among us, probably the wives, who are already giving quite a lot in their own home. But I'm just saying, wherever you're at, look at your situation. How do you give unselfishly in your home? How do you serve in your home? Because I'm telling you right now, if you, if you swing and miss on that, a lot of the serving you do around is, is not going to mean nearly as much when you're not serving in your home. How are you serving in your home? How are you serving in your workplace? And you might say to me, you don't know my boss. You don't know my coworkers. You don't know the clients we have that come in. They are terrible. Are you saying they need Jesus? Okay, good deal. They got an undercover Jesus person showing up at work every day, and it's you. How are you serving in your workplace? How are you serving in school? How are you serving in your community? How are you serving in your church? There's opportunities to serve here. My goal for Recreate Church is 0% unemployment. That every single person who's part of Recreate Church will have something that they, that they do as a service. Greatness is in service. That's what Jesus said. He said, whoever will be great in my kingdom 
let them be the servant of all. The slave, he uses in some translations, the slave of all. And that's a, that's a heavy, heavy term. I don't take that lightly. But that's how greatness is in God's kingdom. It's in serving. I know you've encountered religious leaders. You've seen them on TV. Or maybe you know them in person who appear to want to be served all the time. But that's not what Jesus taught. And that's not what Jesus modeled. He modeled the servant as a leader. That's what he did. My encouragement to you and to everybody is to trust in the risen Lord Jesus as your Savior and follow his example of service. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I praise you. I glorify you. May you work in us, awaken us to places where we can serve, especially in our own homes. We need to start there and not neglect that, Lord. I confess the, that I have often slipped there. Lord, I want to pray for everyone receiving this message that they would trust in Jesus and follow his example of serving. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 It's a great day, folks. It's a beautiful sunny day, and we're going to baptize some folks. Um, those who are going to be baptized today, could you meet me up here for just a second? We're going to go over a few things right after we dismiss. And uh, anybody else who, who wants to be part of that baptism and hasn't spoken for this is kind of your shot here. All right, if you don't know how to get where the baptism is and you want to get there, stick around and we'll make sure you got a ride, okay? All right, that's it. God bless. See you later, I hope. Take care.